It's Cardboard Time, episode number 43, and I'm your host, Arwen Kathke. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Jamie about some of the games that we've played lately, and we also have an interview with Foreteller. The audio on the back end of today's show might not quite be up to our normal standards, but we were trying something new and we learned from it. The important thing is that the voices that are most important, being the people behind Foreteller, are the ones that are front and center in the interview and not mine. So um, I might be a little bit faint, but we'll see how it goes through the processor and go from there. So back to Jamie. Jamie, welcome back. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. And it's my favorite time. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Cardboard time (laughs) is best time. Agreed. So Americon last weekend was a great success. We got a lot of games played and we do have a lot to talk about. And Jamie's been playing some stuff on her own. But let's get right into it. Let's talk about the beer of the day. Today's beer of the day for me is the Tropical Four Giants Hazy by Founders Brewing out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, I got this before the AEW Dynamite show at the Founders Tap Room in downtown Detroit. Uh, This had some hoppiness that was balanced by the sweetness of the pineapple and mango that was used. I really like this balance. I like the flavors, kind of how they all came together. I gave this a 4.25. And if I didn't have a full flight of beer after this, I probably would have had another one of these. Uh, Definitely recommend that if you are in the area. uh, Definitely a good draft pick. So, Jamie, do you have anything that you've been drinking lately? I do not. Um, I bought some cider from Trader Joe's that I'm excited to try, but I have not gotten around to trying it yet. Ooh, it's been a while since I've had some cider. It's um, it's a good it's a good choice during these hot days as we lead into the dog days of summer, you know, during these hot days and trying times. That's right. Hot days, hotter nights. <laughs> Well, it's time to check the shelf of shame, and the count is down to 160 from when we last checked. So that is down by six with zero new acquisitions. Uh, I actually managed to not buy any games after Origins. Go figure. I just I am had so proud of you. Enough. Yeah, thank you. I lasted <laughs> two weeks. Oh, you beat me. Well, I'll I'll say that my purchase that's upcoming at Gen Con is not going to count, and we're not going to count Kickstarters, because they haven't come in yet, so. Fair, fair. The games I got played uh, were six. I got Gift of Tulips played, uh, Nita Vetlier, uh, which I was always pronouncing it Nita Valier, uh, but apparently Nita Vetlier is the actual pronunciation you know, of the word, I wasn't quite sure. And I actually, you know, went on YouTube and watched the video and that's what they said. So I don't know if I'll remember that. I don't know if I'll continue to call it Nidavetlir or Nidavalir or whatever, but we'll see. The dwarf game also works. It's it's the dwarf game. Uh, the dwarf uh, bidding and betting game, which I had a fantastic time with, uh, you know, 
spoilers, but not for today's episode. We're going to be probably covering that uh, maybe next episode. Another game that I do want to cover probably next episode is Burn Cycle. I did get that to the table. Yeah, it's, it's a teach and a half. Oh my god, yeah. I had a free day and I just sat down and taught myself it. And, you know, Jamie, I know that you've played it as well. So, you know, you know, the the rules liability that's on this game that you have to sit through up front. Yeah, it's very it's very intense, but very rewarding, I would say. Mm hmm. But we can go into more detail. We can we can go into more detail in the actual review. Yes. A couple of games that I do uh, want to touch on briefly that I'm not going to do full reviews on uh, are Obama Llama and the Oregon Trail card game. Uh, these were both pickups at Target. And I do want to talk about the Oregon Trail card game first. This was not a good game. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> go figure, uh, with its like 4.7 rating on BGG. But we had a surprising amount of fun with this one. Uh, our our friends all enjoyed it. Uh, we had a great time. We were laughing all the way through it. Reminded me very much of the computer game where everything was a catastrophe and you probably weren't going to survive. The game really did a good job at duplicating that. Is this something we can maybe like we can coin this idea of bad game but fun because friends? Um, because I have a suggestion okay. for what we could what we could refer to it as. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to formally coin it as the yum yum effect. Oh, I like that because and and that that can be kind of shorthand for for listeners, you know, um, mm-hmm. because of you know our infamous story about yum yum, yum Island mm-hmm. uh, and a, a demonstrably terrible game with spectacular gameplay due to yeah. the people you play with. Yeah. No, I like that. We'll just call it a yum yum game. Yeah. It's, it's the yum yum effect. I love it. I love it. We're going to do that from now on. This was <laughs> definitely a yum yum game. I, again, not not a good game by any means, but darn, it was it was really a lot of fun. One that wasn't fun though. Uh and I I usually don't like to dump on games a lot because you know there's there's plenty of people that do that. I do like to maintain a positive attitude and try to, you know, really uplift the community and bring some good energy. Um this did not bring me good energy. This did not spark joy with me. Uh <laughs> Obama Llama was a terrible game. Let me give you a brief description and see if you would find this fun. So you would roll a die. It was the standard D6, which had uh, three different colors on it. So to each side, each of those three colors corresponded to a different type of card. You would be on two separate teams. One of your teammates would pick up one of those matching cards. Depending on which color it was, basically try to convey a rhyming phrase, whether it was acting the uh, rhyme out or whether it was uh, giving you directly the phrase that was printed on the card, like a description, or whether you had to make your own description up for it. Um, So not only that, but there there were three phrases on the card itself. 
and you had 30 seconds to convey, you know, those three phrases as well as you could and try to get your partner to guess it. Every time your partner guessed it, you get a point. Every three points, and you get to go over to this matching game where you get to try to um, reveal these cards that rhyme with each other. This was pretty bad. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the references were dated even for the time. It was like, I felt like I was playing an 80s version of Trivial Pursuit, you know, the one that your parents had that was, you know, the the old blue box from 1981 uh, that oh, yeah. you never knew the answers to the questions because the, the trivia was so outdated. Yeah, and there's just um, like raw exposed cardboard everywhere on it. Yes, yes. Um, except this was new and somehow it was old at the same time. <laughs> You know, and, and even for the time, this was a few years old, but it, it even for the time, the, the references were kind of dated. Uh, major color blindness issues. So you had three colors on the die, and two of them look similar. Ouch. No symbols. Nothing. Just, you know, colors that look similar, like a yellow and a green that looked identical to me. So... That was cool. And then the fact that you've got like this, this whole game, and then you go over to this other game. I'm like, this is way too complex. You know, you're trying to be a party game, but you know, you've got all these steps. But the thing that really, really did it in for me was the uh, instructional video. Oh, no. And you can go and you can look up uh, Obama Llama instructional video and you can see what this instructional video basically like how it sounds and when you you're giving an instructional video you want to be clear concise and it was short but it wasn't clear you had accents on every single character uh, they were goofy accents that you couldn't understand what was going on what the gameplay flow was it was the worst instructional video that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've watched a lot. Rodney Smith, these people weren't. Um, but it was it was one that, on top of everything else, the box size was about four times what it needed to be. So I've got all those pet peeves, and then you got that on top of it. And I'm like, I am done with this game. I'm done. Uh, and it went right to the sale pile. It is never getting to the table again. We dumped out early because it just. So that's if you if you came here to finally hear some negativity from me, there it is. You know, with a name like Obama Llama, I, my expectations were really high. Yeah. Um, well, and, and and that's the thing. The name got to me. <laughs> You know, you see that on the Target shelf and, sure. you know, it's like, hey, OK, that was my whole thing. Like we played that and we're just like, nope, we're we're done. We're done. And nobody at the table wanted to play it. Like everybody just sat there and said, mm, no. 
So anyways, that was that. Was that. So I guess that was as close to a full review of Obama Llama as you're going to get out of me. Um, but the last game that I did get to the table and one that we are going to talk about today is Old London Bridge. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to talk about a game that Jamie and I have both played, and that is Catch the Moon. So Catch the Moon plays from one to six players in 15 to 20 minutes, designed by Fabian Rafaud and Juan Rodriguez. The artist is Emmanuel Malin and published by Cosmos. Roll the die, place a ladder, catch the moon. Climb through the clouds and reach for the moon. All it takes is a few cleverly placed ladders, a steady hand, and a bit of imagination. Reach for the moon, but don't stretch yourself too thin, or you may lose the ladders under your feet. With the right mix of suspense and risk-taking, you will ascend to success. In this dexterity stacking game with a whimsical theme and beautiful design, players take turns rolling a die to determine how they must place their wooden ladder. It must touch either one ladder, two other ladders, or be the highest point. Ladders will shift as more pieces are added, adding an element of suspense and unpredictability. Raindrops are given to players whose ladders cause the structure to collapse. The winner is the player with the least amount of raindrops at the end of the game. So like I said, Jamie, you and I have both played this. Uh, we we did play it separately, um, but we both have some opinions about this one. Uh, why oh, don't you go ahead and start? I would love to. So I brought this game over to my in-laws, and I have a habit of bringing games over my in-laws that uh, I never leave the box and go back in the same bag that I brought them in. It doesn't deter me. I still bring them. But the chances of us getting a game out are always very slim. But mm-hmm. as soon as I saw this game, as soon as I got my hands on it, I knew this would be one that I would get out there uh, immediately and repeatedly. And while the second part of that statement has not come to fruition, we definitely got it out onto the table. And people, by people I mean, you know, my in-laws went crazy over it. They loved it. It was a blast. I have two engineers in my family, so they were sitting there. We have pictures of them. With their, like, concentration faces on as they're trying to place these ladders in, like, a very specific way. Um, and, of course, you know, I I developed my own special uh, trash talk, like, surrounding the game. Uh, specifically pertaining to what I have been referring to as hangers. Uh, because, you know, when you place the ladder, you can either place it in a way that's productive and helpful for everyone else. Thereby giving them a platform on which they can place their own ladders. Or... You can be a mooch, and you can hang a ladder off of another ladder and make mm-hmm. it harder for everybody else. So that's the hill I'm going to die on. Um, but generally speaking, this game is definitely going to see a lot of play in, in my house and with with my family and, and friends. It's it's going to be one that I bring with me all the time. It is, it is a wonderful game. In fact, Rachel said uh, one day she was working from home, and she said, you know, I almost broke that out on my lunch break just to play by myself. And, um, you know, she's not a huge gamer. Like, she's been getting way, way more into games and very good at games, I will add. But I've never heard her express interest in solo gaming. And uh, this one, she said, yeah, I almost almost broke it out on my lunch break and played. And I was like, that's awesome. That's anytime mm-hmm. you can get somebody who doesn't 
usually play games to to buy in like that is a, a great game, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely agree. And I think this this plays really well all three ways. So it, it plays competitively, solo, and co-op. And I think all three are fantastic. I kind of refer to it as like reverse Jenga, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty appropriate way of like describing it. And, and frankly, you know, the game itself is just it, it just it's very calm. It's very fun until you introduce trash talk. That said, you know, your mention of the the water droplets. I don't know if this was your uh, experience as well, but we actually didn't get a single one until like the last couple rounds of the game uh, to the point where we had, I think, a three way tie at the end. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting how that wrapped up. I've had mixed. I've had games where they've been very light and I've had games where I haven't finished because they've they've gone out. So I I think it's depending on how the die rolls and how people are placing. If they're aggressively placing to try to get the structure to fail, you're going to see a lot more of those raindrops as opposed to somebody that's trying to you know if you have a group that's basically building up the structure and playing a little bit not necessarily cooperatively but just trying to you know make sure that those that structure is a little bit more sturdy you you can kind of limit the amount of those raindrops that that happen yeah and i remember when we met with court at um origins and she mentioned to us that you know she leaves it out on her desk and it's like a little sculpture it like truly is like it looks really cool mm-hmm. like when it's all said and done it's it's just a really neat game and it's really you know it's 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 so unique and fascinating uh in how it plays that it's not super complex or like like strategically satisfying in any meaningful way but like it doesn't have to be it's just kind of nice and a nice change of pace and you know I like I like I tend to like dexterity games or dexterity things in general. Uh, so this was definitely up my alley. So for me, I'm actually the opposite, where I usually don't like dexterity games. You know, aside from something like Crokinole or Sonora. So when I got this, I was kind of like, eh. You know, when when I first got the the box from uh, Thames and Cosmos, this was a review copy of the game, by the way. You know, it, it was just kind of like, oh, oh, OK, you know, because Court was asking me, well, what kind of games do you like? You know, what what do you think would work best? And I said, well, I'm an engineer. And, you know, she got that from our discussion. And I think she might have remembered that because... For this to wind up in the box with Anno 1800, I think she kind of knew like, yeah, this you're, you're going to like this. You, you might not think that you're going to like this, but you're going to like this. The beauty of the game, too, is in its simplicity, um, because like you, you literally just have one wooden die, a plastic platform and a bunch of MDF cut ladders. And it's mm-hmm. that's it. It's really simple. And, but really, you know, like, but everything's really well done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The production value, despite that simplicity, is great. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think we love this game for like a light opener or closer. I, I think it's really good for, again, those those times where you're trying to get people into things. Maybe you're having a party and you just want something that's kind of a set piece that people can look at and say, Oh, that's cool. What, what are you playing there? 
um, it does have that table presence of just like inviting people in. And it can be a, a good way to to kind of to get people prepped and to get people ready for a game or to just get them kind of interested in, in what you're doing. It's a it's a good conversation game, too, which I like to do at the beginning of a session where, you know, everybody can mm-hmm. catch up and spend time talking and not have to worry about, you know, like too many moving pieces um, no pun intended, because there are a lot of moving pieces compared to most games in this one. Uh, but, you know, like in terms of complexity of rules, uh, there's not like a whole lot of communication that needs to occur. In fact, I noticed that uh, communication does not occur during turns for the most part. Yes. So everybody's yes. So, so damn focused. Um, but that said, you know, this is a great game to break out right at the beginning when everybody's still chattering and, and wants to catch up and talk and whatever. And it's not really conducive to learning rules or, or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's just a lovely game. It really is. And and like you said, I mean, I was silent during most of my turns. I wound up chatting with people, but it was kind of like half and half where half the time I'd be, you know, just casually chatting with people and catching up and then half the time, like trying to watch and see what <laughs> the next player was going to do with their ladder. I, I think what really does it for me with this game is the physics behind the placement. Aside from the two starter ladders, which are, are basically straight up and down, uh, the the ladders are all different from each other. So they're kind of curved in a little bit differently. Uh, the centers of mass are definitely different from each other. So it's really interesting trying to figure out where to place that center of mass and a, a figure out where it is and then B, try to figure out exactly where to place it on the structure to make sure that it's not going to collapse. I am not terribly bad at this game, uh, which is probably one of the reasons I also enjoy it. But if, if you're an engineer or you like, you know, those kinds of physics puzzles, which interestingly enough, uh, Thames and Cosmos tends to be more towards that learning side. And this is a a good way of maybe introducing, you know, some hidden physics lessons. Oh, definitely. And it's got it's got an interesting curve in that, you know, like people who have sort of a natural knack for it, it just like Jenga, you know, you can kind of you can kind of play around with the physics before you commit to placing a ladder. So it really mm-hmm. does help kind of teach you, you know, the balancing and the, the, I guess, more intuitive side of the physics that are involved in it. So it really is a great opportunity for learning without necessarily being the point. Yeah, and, and I'll also kind of wrap back around to the physical aesthetic of the game. And it really hit for us. Like, you see the box front, and it's just a stack of ladders in the cloud. And that's what's on the table. It's such a a fun, like childlike visual mess of something that you would figure, you know, some children had put together. And that's that's where it really hit for us. Uh, It's come out quite a few times. I think we've we've played it maybe seven or eight times at this point. Yeah, I've only gotten it to the table that one time, but um, they were already asking for me to bring it, you know, like every time because Again, we don't often get it to the table, like anything to the table for that matter, because we're too busy usually just chatting or, you know, spending time together. Um, mm-hmm. But when we do, you know, it's always good to have a game that we can we can kind of fall back on that we know we all enjoy. For your final judgment, I'm sure that you're going to keep it around for a while. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, this one's this one's sticking with me. Not that I saw a need to necessarily own Jenga before this, but I see no reason whatsoever to own Jenga after this. <laughs> um, this is absolutely staying around on my shelf, and I recommend anyone looking for a very fun dexterity game to check this one out. That was Catch the Moon. So, Jamie, do you have a game that you wanted to talk about today? Um, not particularly. I have, I mean, I can talk about any one of the games I've played, but it might be easier for me just to list, because, I mean, I've been playing so many games, Arwen, I kid you not. Uh, coming back from Origins, or even just going to Origins, must have been, like, the kick in the pants I needed to, like, really <laughs> up my gaming, because, like, I swear, uh, you know, I, pl- okay, so just a little... Just a little background. I, I play games every week on Tuesdays at my shop. We have a board game night and I have, you know, a couple of dedicated friends who know that's the night we come up. We play games, you know, uh, before Origins, it was like we would we would play games that we've played before a little bit. We'd bust out a new one every now and then. But legitimately every single week since I've come back from Origins, we've been doing a learn or we've been doing, you know, a game that I've had for a while that I, I just haven't gotten around to, to bringing out or whatever, or I know how to play and I'm teaching somebody. Um, you know, I taught people Tome. I taught people, uh, what's it called? Shamans. I've taught people, mm-hmm. we, we learned Burn Cycle. We learned so many games, Arwen. I've been playing so many games. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you mentioned earlier, Burn Cycle was spectacular. I really loved it. Um, another notable mention I really enjoyed last week we played was Omicron Protocol. Um, that was really surprisingly, not surprisingly, I knew it was going to be good. Um, but as somebody who comes primarily from the world of miniatures and skirmish wargaming and stuff like that, it's really, really accessible, uh, from a board gaming to wargaming standpoint. And, um, you know, I've been talking a lot with the developers, Bernie and Brendan, and mm-hmm. uh, one thing that Bernie mentioned was that he wanted to make a game uh, that was a board game that was satisfying to war gamers, but accessible to board gamers. And I would say that is 100% how I would describe it. Um, it's it's very, you know, strategically satisfying. It's not overly complicated. It's got a lot of replay value in just the variety of ways that you can play it. Um, you know, there's campaign, uh, like legacy content. There's... All sorts of things. The, the minis are fun. You know, I would say that one That one has definitely gone from, oh, man, I know this is going to be good, to, okay, no, I know it is good. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out more, too. Yeah, I'm interested to check this one out at some point because I think that I'm, I'm not huge in war games. They don't appeal to me much. But hearing you describe this, this seems like it could be up my alley. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like what it could be compared to in terms of games you may have played. Because there is, you know, like, unlike Wargaming, which is a little bit more fast and loose, I would say, than than Omicron Protocol is, you know, mm-hmm. you don't get bogged down in like the movement and measuring things and all this other stuff because it's all grid based. So it's it's very much like a board game in that way. Um, and it becomes really satisfying because of that lack of complexity. You know, you move a certain amount of 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 grid spaces and you know, your character, you know, they look limber and light. So, you know, they're going to be able to move quickly, but maybe not hit as hard, you know, so everything works logically. And, um, it really, they do a wonderful job of, of making everything feel like it has stakes because so, so just a brief overview. Um, then the game is 
basically set in the future in a fictional city of San Lazaro in California. Mm-hmm. And um, the story is basically that in the future, everybody's got some sort of like cybernetic implant or just some sort of like upgrade that they've done to their to their bodies, basically. And um, some sort of virus has come out. And again, they've they were very explicit to mention that they were developing this game before the pandemic. And it, yeah. it's just a really unfortunate yeah. circumstance. The naming yeah. convention um, that much must be said, at least. But anyway, uh, a, a computer virus has been, you know, like has been going around and uh, certain people are far more susceptible to it than others. And it causes them to kind of lose all empathy and become aggressive and attack other people. Um, And so essentially what you're doing is you are you, you and your opponent, because it is, it is by nature, um, you know, a versus game, basically. They do have a cooperative mm-hmm. mode, though, which is worth mentioning. The cooperative mode is supposed to be very good as well. But anyway, you and your opponent are kind of working against each other uh, to complete some sort of objective. So, for example, in the game that I played, uh, we had to basically knock out one of those, you know, I in shorthand, I call them zombies just because that's what they're supposed to be. It's just they've given them a f- flavor for the game. Uh, but anyway, you knock out a zombie they drop a little data packet. You go pick up the data packet and you deposit it in a terminal. Um, so real simple until you start to realize how many of these zombies appear in between each turn. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So basically the more electronic noise that you emit by doing certain actions or using, you know, like gadgets that you have and things like that, the more you provoke, the more come out, the more move towards you. Um, and basically, you know, for every every noise that you create, you you broadcast a sound one hex wider than your actual space. Um, so they move towards you or they'll attack you and things like that. And so, you know, first you're like, oh, cool, I only have to do this three times. It's going to be a breeze. And then you realize how many of those actions that you're doing actually cause that noise. And then you start to do the mental math of like, oh my god, there's going to be so much going on here. <laughs> so the stakes really ratchet up really quickly in a very like tangible but very approachable way. Because again, it never feels impossible. It's just like you start to realize the reality of it very quickly. And uh, I think that's what makes it so fun is because it goes, the, the the difficulty ramps up naturally with the gameplay. You know, so that's good for people who are learning, but also people who, you know, maybe veterans of the of the game type and you know want that tactically satisfying scenario um because there's there's a whole like i said a whole campaign to play through and it just gets progressively more difficult so um you know big selling point for me part of why i really liked the concept of the game is because there's an entire faction that is just all cybernetically enhanced animals and that is just so fun so unique so fun you can literally well, play as were, a little little you chimp painting with a t-shirt the... on yeah, you were painting the alligator on the stream the other night, weren't you? Yes, I was. So they actually, uh, they they gave me their models for their current Kickstarter to paint on stream. And uh, uh, Brendan informed me last night, or uh, Thursday night on the stream, that I'm the first person to ever paint those other than like him. Wow. So that was kind of a big deal. I was really excited about that. And uh, I think they turned out pretty good. I only painted for like three and a half hours and I'm happy with how they look. So, yeah, yeah, it was an exciting little little bonus for me. But 
it's just extra nice that the game is very fun and and very enjoyable. Yeah, and we're we're looking forward to getting their other game uh, played oh, at yes. Gen Con, Lunar Rush, which looks really good. I've heard a lot of really good things about it coming out of Origins. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to to playing Lunar Rush as well. Yeah, a few a few creators actually had it on on their top games of the convention as well. So we didn't quite get a chance with everything that was going on at Origins to to actually sit down and demo it. But um, we sat down, we actually got tickets and we said, OK, we're going to we're going to do this and we're actually going to, you know, play something at Gen Con as opposed to just having meetings all t- all the time. Yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to that. I've been trying not to book myself as well, but I might be getting roped into a tournament. We'll have to see. <laughs> yep. You know, I, I've been trying to make sure that the meeting load is light, but, you know, things are starting to come up and, you know, sometimes you can't say no. But oh, yeah, especially since, you know, there are some people going to Gen Con that don't go to the other you know, the other right. cons are like, they'll be going to PAX, but by then, you know, they'll be on to something else, you know, so mm-hmm. you kind of have to <laughs> kind of have to choose accordingly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any other games that you wanted to mention? Oh, we played Three Sisters, but I'm sure you've covered that before. That game I was have lovely. No, I've, I've never played that game. Really? Yep. I've never played it. I've seen oh every... Gosh. Everybody's talked about it, but I haven't played it. I haven't gotten it to the table. I, I want to at some point, but I was fortunate enough to win it from um, Molten Meeple, which is our friends Josh and Heather Schwartz. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a fancy little YouTube page slash podcast where they interview people in the industry and just kind of figure out how they got to where they are. Because uh, as we know, you ask you ask 10 different people how they got into the industry and you'll get 12 different stories. Um so it's a fun little a fun little show, and they're they're great great friends of ours. I managed to win a copy from them. Uh, the game is so lovely. It's this fabulous little roll and write that has like very different mechanics from any other roll and write I played. Uh, not like I played a ton of them. We should look on BGA and see if it's available because I would really like to play that with you. I don't um, think that it is unfortunately. Okay, well I'll bring it to the next time we see each other, and we'll have to get a game in because it is Perfect. just. It's just so light and and fun and, you know, like, I guess light isn't the right word for it because it, it, you know, it's got a lot going on, but it isn't, it never feels overwhelming. You know, it's like, it's very well organized. The the papers that you write on are very, like, clear. Um, You know, the iconography is extremely clear, which is something I've been really getting into lately. It's when a game has really good icons. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I just, I love that. Um. It's just, it's nice. It's really, (laughs) I know I keep saying that, but like, truly, it's just, it's a game about gardening. Like, how could it not be like relaxing and fun, you know? Oh, exactly. It it It, looks like kind of breezy and, you know, it's, it's got a nice vibe to it. Exactly. Again, being a roll and write, it's really portable. It's very simple. Um, There's, there's a rondelle action to it. So that's like as complicated as it gets. But I don't know. It's just I can't wait to show you because I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, I do like my rondelles. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I can't think of anything specifically that's jumping out that we're not already going to cover in the near future. I don't I don't know if you want me to say the name of the game, but it's the one I played this week that I told you or sent you a photo of. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. I, I don't yeah, know we if you can... want to spoil that or what, but... <laughs> we can hold off on that one. Okay, cool. Um, cool. We, ha- we have plans for that. Yes. That was spectacular, by the way. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. That, that was fun. It, it's such a good game. And I have been in talks with the person in question, and we are going to make sure that we, we have plans. We'll just good, put it good. that way. So one that I can talk about, speaking of rondelles, is Old London Bridge from 2022. This is two to four players, plays in 45 minutes, uh, designed by Gabriel Bubola, Leo Colvini. The artist is Marcus Ertz and Patricia Limberger, and published by Queen Games. It's London in 1136, and the great wooden bridge across the mighty Thames has been consumed by fire. Soon the churchman, Peter de Colchurch, plans to construct a new fortified bridge from stone upon which various buildings may be built over the years. Players are architects who are each responsible for one section of the new quote-unquote, Old London Bridge. By bidding for turn order with character cards, you will contribute to the construction of the game's 3D bridge. Buildings must be built with house numbers in descending order. Each building does something different, such as granting one-time special abilities, granting income, increasing the player's standing in the church, which breaks all ties, or getting better character cards to bid with. The strength of each action depends on the amount of matching coat of arms the building is associated with that already sit on the bridge. End game bonuses are varied, and the player with the most money at the end of the game wins. So just to clarify, this was a review copy of the game as well from Queen Games. This one stood out to me, and Jamie, I know it stood out to you too right away when we were at the publisher preview at Origins uh, due to the 3D nature of the game. Yeah, when when you talk about table presence, this game immediately comes to mind for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we both have varying degrees of interest in particular topics when it comes to board games, and I would say... This one ranks pretty low on degree of interest for me, but hearing you talk about it makes me really want to try it despite that. <laughs> give give me an old dry euro any day. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it to me it sounds kind of like eating triscuits with nothing to drink. I want to try like the Sahara. It it's good <laughs> stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example, like just a triscuit with no water. Yes. That's what it sounds like to me, uh, you know, like like from an objective standpoint. But hearing you describe mm. it and the different actions and stuff that can occur. Yeah, I definitely want to try it now. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say right away, learning the rules of this game through the rule book was incredibly easy, which is kind of a rarity these days. A lot of times people are going to videos and usually I am very guilty of that as well. Um, but the rule book in this game was great visually. It had a very straightforward teach. Everything had really good examples. So I was able to go through the rule book, read through it and say, yep, this is what the game's doing. And this is how I can describe it to people and get them on board. Some of the negatives set up in this game was an absolute chore. 
I did wind up separating the building tiles at the end into separate baggies, and I do think that that will expedite things a lot. Uh, but when you're first setting it up and you're trying, you have no idea what goes with what and how I have to set this up. Are these things spread out or are they in a stack? This kind of, uh, you know, once once you punch it out, once you play it, and once you get it in order, it, it's probably going to be a little bit better. Uh, but that first, like, separating everything, I would highly recommend separating all the different buildings into... Uh, little groups and putting them into baggies because that's going to help you uh, separate everything out. The bonus tiles were separated by color. That did help a bit. Uh, the colors were okay. I think the shades kind of helped get it over the hump for me a little bit. There was no like double coating on the bonus tile colors, uh, but there was double coating on the coat of arms, which if there hadn't been, that would have been a deal breaker for me. So I was glad to see that on there. I, I was not super aware of how frequently that comes up until I started playing games with you. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really fascinating to me. And I know you've done an episode before on it, um, but like truly it's something I look out for, like even as a non-colorblind player at this point, because I really do think that speaks to the quality of a game. There's a few like dead giveaways that, you know, like say either they, they just tell you something about the company, you know, whether it's that they're new or they're they've they're inexperienced. Right. Is probably a better way mm -hmm. to look at it mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it really is a simple change, not necessarily from a production standpoint, but it's something easy to head off, I think, in development. Um, so whenever I see that, it's just kind of like, oh, OK, that's interesting that that wasn't addressed, you know. And I, I think that's what we're starting to see more and more. And you will hear about this a little bit more at, in the second half of the episode uh, when we talk to Foreteller and we talk about accessibility in gaming. I think that's one thing that, that Brian Chandler has done a great job with trying to get publishers aware of, hey, this is an issue for some people. And I give Brian a lot of credit for pursuing it and making it his passion. And accessibility is always going to be a good thing. You know, more people around the table is always going to be a good thing. It's great that more people are looking at it and I hope that trend continues. Yeah, I mean, it's not it, like I mentioned, you know, from a production standpoint, it's not a difficult thing to to accommodate for. And I would be willing to bet you that it's far more common than most people think. So it's yeah. surprising to me when it when it isn't addressed. And that to me is why it tends to be kind of a kind of an indicator of, of other things. So, yeah, I don't know. Just something interesting. I wanted to say that the statistic that I was hearing was like one in six. That wouldn't surprise me. So if you have a six player game, you're almost guaranteed that that that's going to happen, that that's going to be an issue if you bring a game to the table that's not going to have those accommodations. But well, and I would even say that like nine times out of 10, we play games and you don't have any problem. Um, but then there's the odd like, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to call them out or anything, but there was some. Um, uh, when we played Nexus Infernum, you had to lean over to me every time you picked up a tile to make sure it was the right color yep. like that. That was just kind of a again, like it's I don't think it indicates anything negative necessarily about the company like outright. So, like they're doing it on purpose specifically to spurn colorline people. Uh, but it does speak to kind of a, 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 you know, just like a lack of experience with that particular, you know, limitation, I think, in the industry. So it's. 
it's nice to see because then people, you know, slowly get over it and their their shows growth and and whatnot. But it's just it's just interesting to me that it's taken this long, I guess. It's, it's mm-hmm. worth celebrating that it's happening, though. So <laughs> Yeah, in 2022. So back to the iconography on here. And I do want to give Queen Games a shout out to the iconography on the board because you could see eyes glazing over at the first sight of the board. Seeing all these stacks of building tiles, seeing the center rondelle, seeing these different tracks, you could just see the eyes glazing over and people like, what is Arwen getting us into now? She's very clearly leading us down a, a horrible Euro game trap again. And I, I think that the iconography on this game was so well done um, because basically you could see with the placement of the buildings on the rondelle and the placement of the tracks and the inclusion of, hey, this building uh, corresponds with this area that you're going to pick money up from. This building corresponds to this area, which you're going to go up this track. You're going to get your cards over here. And the two buildings that didn't have tracks associated with them were extremely easy to to go and explain. So I I really give them credit for a, a, a really smart board design when it comes to that. That really helped my uh, ability to teach the game as well. This offers a lot of what I love to see in a game. You know, you have this easy gameplay flow, basically going and placing your meeple out on a space, taking the corresponding tile, placing it in your bridge, and then taking the corresponding action and it goes to the next player. But the the decision space in this game is very, very chunky for a couple of different reasons. You have a center spinner, uh, which is a very fun concept. It It's very reminiscent of the uh, center carousel in Tenpenny Parks, but this seemed different enough to kind of be its own thing. I'm sure that these games were developed completely separate from each other, and it's like, oh, we got the Rondell spinner uh, going on. I, I will say on a side note, the one thing that I would have loved for that spinner is a center anchor to hold it down the middle, but it worked okay. It was fine. I think where the decision space gets really chunky in this and where I really like it is the fact that you have the house numbers that have to go down in sequential order. Well, basically from high to low. So how you're placing things, and not only that, but how that kind of joins in with the type of building that you're placing and the coat of arms, which is going to determine the strength of your action associated with that building that you're placing, how everything kind of comes together, and then you're bidding for turn order. So maybe you're going to try to let somebody go first and maybe take the building off the top to see what the the next one's number is and uh, coat of arms is. It, it's such an interesting decision space. Like I was sitting there and I'm like, well, I really want this action, but this number is extremely low. So I'm going to have to go and either reset my number line next time, or I'm going to have to take a penalty because I'm going to have to go and replace one of my buildings that's already out there. And I'm going to ruin my engine for the future because one of the buildings I'm placing, I'm taking one of those coat of arms 
off of the bridge and basically eliminating it from the game. So it, it there's just so much kind of going on, but it just makes sense. You're evaluating those options in your head and you're you're trying to make those decisions. That's what I really like in a very simple and easy to kind of digest format. That sounds really nice too. And, you know, back to your point earlier about the importance of iconography is, you know, again, pertaining to accessibility, which is something we cover in the Forteller interview. Um, I, I have pretty severe ADHD. So when I'm learning a game, I have a terrible time listening to instructions. I'm very much somebody who needs to play the game to really grok it, you know, it makes it really hard to sit through instructions, even though I know that's really helpful for other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I typically zone out and then I figure out the game while I'm playing and icons help so much with that. So I'm excited to see how how intuitive these things are, you know, and it's also I'm a bit of a language dork. Uh, so anytime that you can express something uh, like mimetically, I always think that's really fascinating. Yeah, and I'll I'll say that the one thing that we did have to go over were were the bonus tiles. Mm-hmm. We did have to go in and say, okay, this is what this bonus tile does. But at any given time, we were only going through the top three because you only ever have three revealed. And it was extremely easy to do. The next time one popped up, you know, you just said, oh, this is what this does. And by the end, I didn't even have to go into the rule book and and look. It was just Mm kind of like, oh, yeah, that's what that does. So it it just kind of made sense. And I I do give Queen Games a lot of credit for the fact that they were able to do such a good job with the iconography and, and make it make sense. And like you said, I mean, this is this is one that I had a lot of players at the table that weren't necessarily... I, I wouldn't call them newbies to the hobby, but, you know, they're they're lighter gamers and they picked this up extremely fast and they were ready to go and they were firing on all cylinders. The The gameplay was quick. It didn't overstay its welcome, uh, offered a lot of really good decisions and was really well produced. The one negative that I would kind of give to it is the fact that this could desperately use an insert. I think that you would be able to expedite the setup so fast um, if you had some sort of insert to the game. Um, But that also increases the cost like we've talked about, you know, on the show before. So, yeah, it's it's a really good game. Jamie, I'd love to get this to the table with you at some point because I'm definitely going to be playing it some more. We'll definitely have to plan a, a night before we go to um, to Gen Con because I, I think Rachel would really like this one too. Mm-hmm. Or even my parents, yeah. we could we could really do a, a whole night. Oh, I think your parents would like it too. Um, I played it with Allie, so I mean, it was it was a super easy, fast teach. I love it. So for my final judgment, again, this was a really fun, easy to teach Euro game that sits in my happy spot. I'm looking forward to playing it more with the different scoring conditions that are also included uh, just to switch things up a little bit and and make things just a touch different uh, that should add some replayability as well. When I'm losing a game badly, but I'm constantly thinking about what I would do differently next time and I want to play again, 
that signals a very solid game to me. And that's exactly what happened here. I did not win. I didn't even come close to winning. Um, but I had a great time. And I, I really... I love the decisions I was able to make in this game. So this is definitely one that's sticking around on the shelf for a while. And that's Old London Bridge. Well, stay tuned because coming up next, we have an interview with Foreteller. On today's episode, we have Thomas St. Pierre, Eddie San Marco, and Nicole Chartier from Foreteller, a company that creates immersive and professional audio narration for board games, original audio drama series, and interactive gaming applications. I welcome you all to the show. How's everything going this morning? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, we're happy to be here with you. Yeah. Yeah, so we are live right now at Origins 2022, and we are up in the skybox overlooking the convention center. The show floor looks amazing up here. I, I kind of feel special. I don't know about you all, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like we can lord over everybody in the floor now, because we just <laughs> see the whole, the whole thing. Everybody's there. The, the small peasants down there on the floor wandering <laughs> exactly. around. We have, we have a survey of our kingdom down there. Exactly. Yeah, they look like they're having a lot of fun. I know that I did yesterday, and it, it's been a good convention for us. How about all of you? It's been probably the most fun convention that we've been to so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hands down. Yes, Yesterday, we all got into performing. Yeah, <laughs> we it was were crazy. such a great energy. We had so many people stop by our booth. We sent them on quests. We did a little scavenger hunt. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I know I was going to stop by just to verify like a bunch of things for our interview today, and you had so many people around your booth. Yeah. What was going on with that? Uh, we were given a, we were doing a scavenger hunt, and uh, which was uh, the culmination of that would be a big giveaway. So we were giving away games, t-shirts, keys, or little pins. Um, what else? We get dice box sets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We 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 started a talk to our neighbors and other other exhibitors here wanted to participate so they were they wanted to donate something and we would update the quest log and add a new vendor to the boot to the to the quest list and oh that's so cool yeah and every yeah they were just having a great time yeah and i really have to give it up to one of our coworkers, adam who was just so hyped getting the crowd going and asking trivia with the fans and he just did a great job of keeping the energy really really hyped and ready for everyone we're trying to create a really cool atmosphere. So our one of our applications is called Fabler, which is kind of an audioscape uh, kind of power tool for DMs. We were using that to kind of try to create a tavern feel or mm -hmm. maybe up the, the energy a little bit with some battle music yeah. um, alongside. We have a, a kind of a, a, not really a PA system, but we have a, like a little karaoke machine I would, on steroids. That, <laughs> uh, we allowed us uh, to uh, Bluetooth in a bunch of speakers and we're just trying to make a, a big show out of it. Just, you know, have a lot of fun. There's yeah. kids everywhere. So we're just like trying to allow them to have fun too at the con. We had bards, we had jugglers. Mm -hmm. It was so fun. We had puppets. We had puppets. puppets. Yeah, we had a puppet yeah. show. Yeah. We did. It was really a lot of fun. We're, I mean, at heart of the company, we're, we're storytellers. So mm -hmm. when we come to the convention, I mean, obviously, mostly a lot of exhibitors are here to sell and represent and that kind of stuff. But our goal for this convention was to entertain. We don't exist without people having a good time. And our company is all about trying to create those immersive experiences. So what better way to do it 
than to give people an immersive experience at a con. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to grow our four foot community, that's what we call people who are part of our, um, so we really love having engagement and feedback from you guys about your experience with the music and the audio narrations and to join our Discord to continue that conversation past this con. Amazing. So it sounds like you have a great community. And, and let's step back a little bit. And can you tell us a little bit more about Foreteller and, and what you do? Um, sure. So I kind of touched on it a little bit. We're, we're storytellers. We all grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons or any random, you know, tabletop RPG or any type of game like that. We were really into it. Um, as we became adults, had careers, <laughs> went into different <laughs> adults. Yeah. adults in giant air quotes. <laughs> you know, we we all started to uh, have different career paths and and all ended up meeting each other along the way and had really good working relationships and forged good friendships. And we, a few years ago, we decided to go on this adventure together. Mm. And it's been a crazy whirlwind since. Um, we've successfully established uh, an, an audio narration aspect to a lot of board games that didn't exist before. Um, people really didn't know what they were missing. Um, they didn't know they, it would be such a change to how they play the game. And we took that risk and we believed in it ourselves. Um, it was something that we all had been looking for in tools or um, what's available. Well, a couple of years ago, um, like Thomas was saying, you know, we, we've worked together in the past and, and we, we have a, a technology background. Uh, most of us do, or marketing background as Nicole has. Um, uh, my brother, who's also uh, owner of the company, uh, he's the designer of the company. So we have, um, we all had a skill set that, that was needed and uh, we all played games together and had done stuff like this before. So we're going to YouTube getting soundscapes. We're trying to make, do the voices when we play games. And it's fun, but it's not, um, it's, for us, it was like we want to be immersed a lot more. And so we decided to kind of uh, uh, merge our skills of technology and our love of board games to try to create um, kind of a, a mesh between the digital and the tactile world, which is where Fortal came out. So we started with Gloomhaven, and we got really, really lucky that uh, Fair was um, cool enough to allow us to not just um, use their license, but to also um, kind of crashed their booth at Gen Con in 2019, which is <laughs> kind of where a big splash was. Yeah, um, we were party crashing. Yeah. And, Hard. And, and we're very, very grateful for that because, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that not, uh, not everybody has an opportunity to do. So, uh, but I think that's kind of where we came from and we just, it's snowballed from there. Yeah. I think I would only spin that a little bit to say, one might say we had a balanced party. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, -oh. hey So I, I think one of the things that kind of drew me in to setting up this interview today and, and really wanting to get you up here today was the story of how the company was founded. You were telling me about, um, you know, basically struggles with dyslexia and, mm -hmm. and that need in the market. There, there's a lot that we've talked about with accessibility and gaming on the show, particularly for me, being colorblind is kind of a, a big barrier for me. Right. And it's something that's being worked on on a regular basis in the industry that things are getting better. 
Um, so can, can you elaborate a little bit more about that journey and, and why you think that's important? Yeah, I mean, I'll, we each have our own story kind of behind that, that we've all, we've all had different struggles and, you know, tribulations and that we've overcome and, and you know, grew from. Um, mine personally, dyslexia was the big one. When I was growing up, I was almost held back two years in a row um, in like third or fourth grade because I, I was dyslexic and nobody knew what the word was. They just thought I was really dumb. And I, I mean, I was really good at math. I just couldn't read or write at all. So that was like a really big challenge. So how, do you, how does someone like me that loves games get into playing board games or role-playing games that have so much stuff to read? It's a huge barrier. And then not only that, but even if you get past that barrier, you have all the social aspects of shyness, of, you know, b being embarrassed. That and, you know, being a nerd in general growing up, you know, doesn't go well, right? Well, it used to not go well. It's getting a lot better now. But, you know, you couple all those things together and you're not a super popular person. And, you know, a lot of stuff comes with that. I think we all look for different ways of escapism and, you know, playing games is a really good avenue for that. It's a really good avenue, not just to escape, but to, to just process and, and do therapy through it because you can force yourself to get more, you know, socially engaged, right? Mm -hmm. Work on those skills while having fun. Yeah. Um, without knowing you're really developing these other skills. Um, I mean, just commonly just social skills, right? right which, yeah. is, which is great. It's prevalent through all the games. I was actually approached by his brother, Jason, about have this idea. I've just really been like developing software. Uh, that, that was, you know, Jason and I worked on a lot of projects together um, at another company and we had a, a working relationship there. And he knew my technical skill set and I trust his artistic vision and, you know, that kind of stuff. We have a good, healthy relationship there. And immediately I was drawn in because I was like, oh, yeah, I, ne I never told him about my dys dyslexia stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he just knows I was a gamer and I, and I loved like playing Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, so that, that's kind of where that's where I got really excited. Because I started to immediately think, like, I can actually do something about this now. Yeah, yeah. I I think again, that's that's what really drew me in was that story mm -hmm. of of being able to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah. it's actionable now, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Like, I never, I if you would have asked, you know, the nine year old version of me, do do you think you'll ever be in a position where you can, you know, help? another nine-year-old not you know get bullied or cry or you know feel like they can't even play a, a game by you know with friends yeah. without being made fun of i never in my wildest dreams been able to think that and, and now that's what we do yeah and i think like for me personally i'm neurodivergent and so i like i have really adhd and so i wanted something that keeps me engaged on the game and english is my second language so having a professional voice actor do the voices for me with music and sound effects keeps me more entertained 
And I think it's just bridging the gap of us using technology while tabletop is kind of a way that is creating a new playing experience. And we're all about having great experiences. So um, that's why I really love Fortaller. And I think it just brings, for the game publishers, it brings their character to life in a new way. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I think you're absolutely right. We've started to see more of a bridging of a gap between the physical components of board game mm -hmm. and still maintaining that social aspect. I think that's what we're all drawn to in this hobby yeah. uh, with the digital world and using digital implements to kind of help us out. There's been some resistance to that by certain people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for the most part, it's it's being more widespread adopted and people are starting to see the, the benefits of this technology. Yeah, we're actually getting a lot of people requesting more games in our directions because they really enjoy that experience. And a lot of people, especially like families, can sit around and listen to a voice actor. So it creates an, another way of amplifying your gaming adventure and i think that like you know before the pandemic we were really concerned a lot a lot more concerned about having an application disrupt um people's you know board game experience and tactile experience and a lot of people they told us like i don't want to have to use this app and so our 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 entire goal has always been to enhance experience without disruption um and so we're just trying to give people the ability to just get into their story and we don't we don't want them to have to be like well i have to use this and this and that we just want them to get into it just click play and then just have a good time so one thing that we've done is try to bring a little bit more visibility to individual roles within the board game community a lot of people kind of they they look at companies at a convention like this and they see big companies you know, they see flashy production. You know, you have a nice booth. You must be huge. You this massive company. And even the biggest companies, I mean, are, you know, 15, 20 people sometimes. So yeah. um, I, I like to bring a little bit of an aspect to um, what individuals do and what their roles are within companies. And sometimes that can be multiple, multiple hats. Yeah. Um, so many hats. It's a closet full of hats. Yes, exactly. So many ways of hats. Yeah. <laughs> So can you each tell me a little bit more about what you do at the company? Do you want to start? Sure. So I do everything that's not technical. Um, you know, business development. We do, I do marketing, sales, um, creative strategy, um, anything to get people hyped and excited about Forteller. <laughs> um, so I, I guess the chief ex executive officer, um, one of the hats, <laughs> um, big time development. Eddie's my right hand there. Business development, mm -hmm. finances, HR. accounting, and HR. There's only five of us. A bunch of things. There's still five of us right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's only five of us in the whole company. I had to learn how to, you know, work with insurance companies and figure all that stuff out. I mean, it is like insane. Yeah. It, stuff you never even thought you would have to do or learn about or. You know, oh, I took a I took a random accounting class in college. Like all mm -hmm. of a sudden, all that's coming back. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a constant learning experience. Mm -hmm. You mean accounting is actually useful for something? <laughs> it, it is once you once you have yeah, to do once it. you have, have to do it. it. <laughs> yeah, but we're so fortunate that this year we were all full time 
Yeah. yeah. Before That's we were volunteering awesome. our time, I was an intern for a very long time, and I'm just so happy that we have the ability to be full time. And yeah, it's yeah. cool to see that growth. Mm-hmm. We worked for about two years before we could all go full time. So it was like you know labor of love for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my role specifically, my main role is is uh, engineer. So I, I'm coding. I'm in my cave coding most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I do get opportunities to do some creative stuff as well. Um, uh, we did a, um, a a podcast narrative like a called the Grimoire that I was able to um, co-write and uh, co-produce, and that was really interesting and, and, and fulfilling. So, um, hopefully, get to do more of that stuff once we have a bigger team. And yeah. uh, but uh, you know, that my main role is just basically slinging code all day long. So yeah. I'll, I'll ask a follow-up to the question of what your roles are. How did each of you get into the industry to begin with? Well, I think I think we did it kind of all at once, right? Because we were we were all um, oh yeah we, in the we just world. we just knocked yeah, the door we down the yeah world. and we, we saw that we were all kind of in the in, in the software industry um, you know Nikki and Thomas all worked together at a, at a company um, a few years ago and same with Jason and same Jason. with Jason, Jason. Um, so we all had our own specialties in the digital world and so because we were all gamers and we wanted to kind of make our own stuff and you know uh, to your point you know accessibility there's a certain amount of requirements that that most software it, uh, you have to have for accessibility, but we wanted to go further. And when you work for a, a big conglomerate, you really can only go as far as they allow you to go. And so we wanted to kind of build our own stuff um, and mm-hmm. go as far as we wanted to go and needed to go. And uh, yeah, self-funded. Yeah, we're all self-funded, <laughs> and we're 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 hustling, we're hustling still. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, what are some of your favorite voices or characters that that you have in the app? Oh, I I mean, I know mine just because I haven't listened to all the most recent stuff. But still, to this day, it's not released yet. It, it Soon, TM, right? Um, Isofarian Guard, King Karst. Oh, okay. And I believe that sample is available. So I think it's available. I think it's on uh, SoundCloud. But SoundCloud, yeah. It is amazing storytelling where you hear characters going at each other. <laughs> Like it starts with a normal conversation and the anguish. You uh, can hear yeah, the that, yes. anguish. Like it, it resonates. Like it, it feels like you're watching, you know, a Lord of the Rings kind of experience. And and honestly, that was that's our target. That's our bar. Is if you can close your eyes and feel like you're watching a movie, watching a movie, just but listening at that point, we hit it. That that's our goal. <laughs> and that track. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely delivers it. So one of your main tenets as a company is inclusivity, and that was mm-hmm. the other thing that attracted us to have this interview today. How do you work towards making Forteller more inclusive? That's a yeah. great question. Yeah, so definitely we want to create a community. So it's like we allow anyone come as you are, be as you are, and we celebrate diversity in many ways. Um, with the actors that we hire, we have a variety of diverse actors to fulfill these roles. Um, Can I add something just to that one line? Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so when we work with designers uh, the of, of the board games, uh, and we go through casting, we specifically um, look for authentic mm. right. accents. So if they're designing something that has a specific accent in mind, we look for that culturally appropriately. Like, yeah. right. we want an actor or an actress that isn't faking that. Yeah, right. so celebrating that. And I want to give credit to um, 
Brian Lockett and Red Raven Games, he's one of our partners. His games are always, all the characters are very diverse. Always diverse. Yeah. Always diverse, so we always look for the right actors to fit that vision and to celebrate their voices and have them heard through our narration application. And we also try to put forth um, <laughs> Uh, some, maybe some voices that are not generally in the mainstream as main characters in our story. Mm -hmm. So like the grimoire, um, the the main character is 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 a gay um, female Hispanic woman, and so you know we we definitely tried to we tried to give um, you know uh, a voice to everybody uh, within our stories. Yeah, and let allow everyone into our community and celebrate that. And I think it's really important to have these voices seen and be seen and heard and and we we can do that through our platform yeah. and what does a, a typical day at the office look like for all of us of work from home so we're in PJs. Yeah. days <laughs> yeah <laughs> we all work from home which is great i love working home life it's <laughs> yes, amazing yeah. i eat all my snacks yes. <laughs> um i get to walk my dog but we usually it's it's really nice um we meet as often as we need to. As we can, yeah. Yeah, and we work really well together, and I think um, we even throw in some fun. We get to play some games virtually <coughs> from our houses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we uh, you know, we have a lot of meetings, of course, since we're on at home, and, but, you know, we all, uh, we have a, we've been working really, really hard at trying to improve our processes and, and streamline the things that we do so that we don't have to be so ingrained in, in that kind of aspect. Like, what is everybody doing right now? Or what do we need done? We all kind of know because we've been working on it for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and the vision shared. Yes. I think yeah. that's the, I think that's the lighthouse. Um, so like the, the hardest managerial aspect I like that I encounter is, you know, we're all disconnected. I mean, I'm a huge supporter of working from home. I worked from home f six years before COVID yeah. started. Yeah. Like, I refused to go into you an just, office. You should see his setup. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen. Um, we all need a lot of space. <laughs> <laughs> big personalities. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's it, like the whole team shares a vision. Mm -hmm. and, and we did that by not trying to do a bunch of corporate crap, but... Mm -hmm like the core tenets of we do things for the gamer. Yeah. We do, we do things to immerse and frictionless. Yeah. I think that's that the big one. Frictionless our, technology. Yeah. Our so, values, customer first, basically inclusion, accessibility, sustainability. Yeah. And we have a, we have a whole list and it's like, if, if we're, as long as we're moving forward and we're touching that list with our goals and objectives, then it, there's not a whole, a whole lot of hands-on. It's everyone's moving in the right path, the right way forward. I, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's one advantage to having a smaller company is being able to be yourselves. Mm -hmm. So having a shared focus, having a shared vision, you can you can really do that and have everybody on the same page a lot easier than a big, huge corporation. Yeah. But we've been working on our communication skills. Oh yeah, we fight. Yeah. We, we fight. Yeah, we, 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 fight we, we struggle. I mean, <laughs> no, we're like we're, we're like siblings, right? We're like yeah. really close friends. So yeah. we all yeah. we, we we have very passionate opinions, and we all share them very loudly sometimes. Mm -hmm. yes. And then you know we figure out a, a solution and, and move forward. You know. Yeah, and we check in with each other. We do a lot of like health checks and saying like, hey, how did you feel about that? And I think it's really important to communicate effectively. And I think that I'm really happy 
that we were able to do that now. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, like any family and growing pains, like we get into it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's one thing that I've seen from the industry is just how close knit it is and how how much everybody is is friends. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. friends argue and fight. Totally. Um, oh yeah. But you know, for for the most part, everybody just seems to be you know very close knit and very together. And, yeah. and I love that about this. Mm -hmm. And I really love that everyone loves our customers. Like we're obsessed with making better things for them, especially these guys. They spend way more hours than they should just developing the right software and the right things that are necessary for this. The community in, in the board gaming world is definitely That's way why we different do what we do. <laughs> yeah, than, I, than I was used to beforehand in the mm -hmm. software world. It's, it's way more inclusive, way more open, and people just want to build their passion projects and then yeah. just have fun with their friends. So I, I really enjoy this industry a lot more yeah. than then. There's just more of a dialogue. hundred yeah. percent. It's yeah, so much way more, more fun. of a dialogue. It, is. it <laughs> really is. We get to play games and It's fun. not so serious all the time. Sometimes, yeah. you know, companies can we take can themselves really seriously. Yep. Like mm -hmm. music and it's fun. So any upcoming projects that the listeners need to know about? Ooh, mm. so I got, many. <laughs> I got a couple things that I, that I could talk about. Um, so there is a there's a new feature that that we're building right now for our narration. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it's just um, currently you can just listen to our narration on the on the, our mobile application on iOS or Android. But we're uh, we're focusing on trying to build out a Discord uh, bot so that when people are inevitably on Discord and they're playing with their friends, they don't have to use another device if they don't want to. Um, and Everybody can hear the audio, even if they're not in the room. So that's a big, big ask that we, that uh, our, our customers have been throwing at us for a long time, and and you know we have finally had the opportunity to have some time to really hone that down. So that should be out here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. super excited for that. Yeah, I'm really excited. And kudos to Discord because they have come a long way too. Yep. Yeah. In being able to like provide us like more things to build applications within their system developing it's it's in, it's incredible and for, and for those developers who asked me months ago when this is coming out and i said soon and it hadn't yet it's because discord deprecated their last version yeah just for the engineers well yeah because of what they added though yeah i mean because what they added, they so added is brilliant and and the that the bot yeah the usability on the bot is is crazy yeah, yeah. it's so simple to use. Awesome. And we also have other exciting narrations like Frosthaven that's coming out. Oh, yeah. And I'm really excited for that. Um, what else we got out coming up? Chronicles of the Guard. Yep. yep. Chronicles of the Guard is coming out. Um, hopefully, Isafarian Guard will come out uh, late this year, next year, maybe? Mm -hmm. Or first of next year? And um, Van Ryder Games. Um, that's, City that's, of Angels. Yeah, this this year we we <laughs> yeah, we partnered up with them. Um, Detective City of Angels. They they had sent us a copy of that to to play through and get some get our bearings and and look at that stuff. And that's a great game if you've never played it. It's very noir, L.A. Which um, is fun for us because you know we're used to doing a lot of high fantasy stories. Yeah, it's and a very so different genre. To be able cool. to break out of that and do something so different was very, very fun. It's yeah. exciting. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at the case files and yeah. bring in like good actor, you know, good acting. Actually, I think we're re-engaging the same actor. The same actor, yeah. Because we were we have a relationship with that actor uh -huh. as well. 
So that's that's uh, I guess that's another like fun thing is the voice actors is also a small community. And it, they it's like another another <laughs> little community. Oh yeah. yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. Yeah, you know, we have some actors that that come to us and have to uh, use a different name because <laughs> they don't want to go through the Screen Actors Guild or something, right? <laughs> and they just want to do it as a low key thing because they enjoy playing board games <laughs> but you know what's cool about that is that they get to grow their own community as well right so um, I, I look online especially when we do casting calls and and all of our you know veteran actors will will um, you know make messages on the board saying like welcome to the four folk and you know mm -hmm. giving people advice on how to go through our acting process or our casting process and stuff so you know they the, the community themselves is building you know their own little niche which is super fun for me to watch oh, yeah yeah, yeah. So what games are currently on everybody's table? Mm. Gloomhaven, I would imagine. Always. I, I love Jaws of the Lion because, yeah. Jaws of the Lion is actually one of our uh, best sellers right now uh, for, for narration. Um, it's a really, really good way to, if you have played Gloomhaven or haven't, just to kind of, it's a compact <laughs> version of Gloomhaven with mm -hmm. a really, really rich story. So that's been kind of our best, our best seller uh, for a long time since we launched, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, and they they did a really good business decision there. Um, you know, the Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, obviously big box legacy mm -hmm. games, um, and then Jaws is that I don't even want to say pared down because it's really not. It's yeah. mechanically everything's there. The the meat is there. I would say more streamlined. Than it's yeah. very streamlined, very streamlined, and I and they did a great business decision. They they're they're trying again. We're talking about breaking barriers. Mm -hmm. They specifically wanted to break down a barrier to say legacy games don't have to be scary. You probably will enjoy it, and you know what? It it it, it shows. Uh, it's it's a retail stores. I mean, it's it was yeah. a good move for them. But I'm also so excited for doing Red Raven games, Sleeping Gods. That's oh, sleeping people Sleeping God. Oh, we didn't even make, mention that as the upcoming. Yeah. Game. Oh, I'm so. Begging for so it. happy that game, about that. The artwork and everything is just so cool. So we're excited to release. I have a funny game. story about that though. This is why this is so special to me. That Gen Con that Eddie was talking about that we crashed. Mm -hmm. That 2019. That is when Ryan Lockett was also at Gen Con, and they. I think he was one week out, or the the Kickstarter was just starting for Sleeping Gods in 2019. We we had walked over and um, again crashed his booth and just cold like a cold call like and just oh hey hi Ryan how are you like totally didn't even know us um, we just started talking and he, like as soon as like he started to hear about you know like bringing the, the story and the acting and delivering that stuff he was he was just like oh this would be perfect for sleeping gods. <laughs> But the campaign was already underway, right? So it was missed the mark. But now, victory. Three years later, the sequel to The Sleeping Gods, the backers wanted it so bad that, you know, we worked with Red Raven and we're not only doing Distant Skies, the sequel, but we're actively producing the original game now. That'll be out first because obviously the story's written. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's there. Yeah, we found we got to do it, which is which is cool. The first thing, the first thing that I really really wanted to do when we crashed Gen Con, <laughs> we got to do, it. and we missed the mark, 
air quotes, yeah. We, yeah. we ended up getting. We only got to do it because the people wanted it, and that oh, yeah. just speaks to it. I can definitely see why. I mean, it's a game that everybody talks about, and I have heard multiple times, have you played Sleeping Gods? I'm like, no. They're like, <sighs> And it's one of those games that's like, you have to play this. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you be a board game podcaster and not have played this game? And I'm like, why? Well, have 8 million other things to play. But <laughs> at, yeah. at some point, I definitely want to want to get that and get it out to the table. Yes. It sounds amazing. And definitely with some foreteller narration. Yep. Please yeah, do. Ryan, Ryan and Mallory are so, so super talented. They're great to work with. They're, they're wonderful people. people. Yeah. Wonderful people they're and great to work talented. With. So anything else that all of you want to discuss? Just in general? I want yeah. to just thank you so much for doing your podcast and having your voice and other people in the community heard. Like, I feel so happy I get to wear the gamer tag on my name tag. And I've never been in a space to be proud to be, you know, part of that community. And so I'm just so proud to be in like Pride Month to be here and to be with you guys. So it means a lot to me. I, I think it's it's really an amazing community too. I mean, I interviewed Jeff Sorensen uh, for Tabletop Gamers a couple weeks ago and had him on, and and I think we've come a long way in this community. And and yeah, I'm very proud to be part of it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So I just want to be very like thankful that we are here and we're queer and it's great. It really is. <laughs> Uh, so how can people get a hold of you online? Discord! Join our Discord community, please. Or go on our website, click on the first Discord link. That's the easiest way to get to us. But always email us at, you know, social at foretellergames.com if you have any other questions or want to be a part of our awesome team. Um, and join our social media networks. Um, we have, you know, Facebook, Instagram, everything like that. But we really love hearing from you on Discord. You're talking directly to us. Oh, yeah. directly to us. Yeah. We're, We're the responding. ones answering the messages. So. We don't. We don't have a support team. We are the support team. Yeah, I'm, we are that's one part of my job. I do take service. support tickets yeah. a lot. <laughs> a lot of them. There's people need help. <laughs> There's a lot of people doing a lot of support tickets out there on the floor. We were just uh, over at Chip Theory, and our friend Heather was uh, sitting there on her computer doing all sorts of support tickets. So I, I, it's amazing how small this industry is, and yet provides such a great immersive experience for people to enjoy. Exactly. So, Nicole, Thomas, Eddie, I want to thank you all for being here, and... Um, yeah, good, best of luck with everything coming up, and uh, I'm sure that we'll be hearing more from you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So much. We really this appreciate is an awesome. <laughs> thank you. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, make sure to check out our website at cardboardtime.com, our Instagram and Twitter is at cardboard underscore time. Take a look at our Board Game Geek podcast page. Our board game arena group is still going strong. Search for Cardboard Time and start up a game or just chat with us. And any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, please email cardboardtime at gmail.com. Jamie, where can people get a hold of you if they're looking for you? Well, basically anywhere on the internet, I am usually going by Jamie Daggers. Uh, that is my username on Twitch. If you're ever interested in following along while I paint some minis, maybe learn a thing or two, talk about, you know, mental health and, you know, the, the importance of active rest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like a lot of times it tends to be a lot of LGBTQ issues. 
Um, but it's never just about that stuff. So if you ever want to just come hang out and chill, I do that every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Um, it's always a good time. Other than that, I can also be found at Jamie Daggers on Instagram and on Twitter at Jamie underscore Daggers. And I'm hoping to have you on the next episode because we have more games to talk about, first of all. And you're definitely going to get a lot more out of me going forward, I think. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. And next episode is our last episode before Gen Con. I can't believe it. It's here already. Okay. We were talking about that at Origins being like, man, it feels like so far away. And then we're going to like look at the calendar and be like, unbelievable. And yeah, it's here. Even even despite saying that, I don't feel like I'm prepared. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm I'm definitely not. I, I'm sitting here and I'm like, uh, OK, um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll schedule some meetings now and I, I need to schedule some games. I, I don't know what's going on. Like, we're trying to figure out the layout of everything because we haven't been there before. It's it's crazy, but we'll be hopefully we'll have Jamie back and we will be talking about what we're looking forward to at Gen Con and some Stuff that we've been playing, obviously. So, anyways, as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming.